Good to be here this morning. Um, I really like how the choir just got all radical and went off the bulletin. Um, I thought, you know, once it's in the bulletin, it's written in heaven and that's what has to happen. Uh, but they risked greatly and changed one of the songs and happened to pull out my favorite hymn of all times and my favorite Christian song, Amazing Grace. Uh, it is uh, the story of my life and of what God has done in me. And uh, surprisingly enough, it also fits so perfectly with what I'm going to be preaching on this morning. But before I get started, uh, let me tell a story. It was a, um, a shipwreck. Two men swam ashore on a deserted island, middle of nowhere. One of them immediately got busy doing everything he could to try to get saved. And the other one was doing absolutely nothing, sitting in the shade, back against a palm tree, just observing this beautiful tropical lagoon. The first one is running back and forth across the island. He's, he's grabbing up coconuts and rocks and writing SOS in the sand in giant letters, and he's finding every branch, twig, piece of wood that he can. He's dragging it up to the highest point on the island, trying to start a fire and build a signal fire and smoke. And every time he runs past the first guy, he's getting a little bit more and more irritated. Finally, he's getting downright furious. And he stops in front of him at one point, kicks his feet to wake him up and says, we're stranded on a desert island, middle of nowhere. I'm doing everything I can to try to help us get off here and get saved and you're doing nothing. Don't you care? The other guy just calmly looks at him and says, friend, you have no idea who I am. Why? I'm a multi, I'm a highly placed executive with a multinational corporation. Guy says, what, you, you think uh, your company's going to save you? They're going to find you? Says, no, 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 you don't understand. I, I make six figures every month. The guy jumps in, what, you think, you know, because you pay taxes, the government's going to find you? He said, no, 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 let me finish. Said, I'm a Christian, and I'm a member of my local church. And I'm active in my church, and I tie the full 10% of what I make. My pastor will find me. <laughs> May Jesus, who is our life, find us this morning as we gather together to hear from His Word, and to see Him, and to draw more near to Him. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open them up to the book of Ephesians in chapter 2. I'm going to be preaching from the first nine verses of Ephesians chapter 2. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul penned this letter to a church long gone some 2,000 years ago. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, they've been preserved as God's word for us for today. So here in part, the word of the Lord. But as for you, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the greatness of the love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show forth the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Lord God, we gather in your house this morning. It's just a building. And we're just people. But we are your people. And this is your building. Lord, you are our everything. For the next few moments, Lord, please, by your grace, may we set aside all that would distract us from having our eyes our hearts, our ears, our minds, our soul, our being, focused on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. But as for you, Paul writes, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. There's no way to sugarcoat this. Uh, Last week, if you were here and if you remember, wow, uh, (laughs) but I preached from Genesis and I talked about one of the, the first questions, I think perhaps the fundamental question that God asks each of us, that he first asked Adam and Eve millennia ago, where are you? And remember where Adam and Eve were at that time. They were separated from God for the very first time in their lives. From the moment of their creation, from the moment that he brought them into being, fully formed and breathed into them the breath of life and made them living beings, they had been united in fellowship with him and they lived in him, for him, with him. But they did what they shouldn't have done. They did what they knew was wrong. And in doing it, for the first time in their lives, they knew evil and knew themselves to be evil 
and knew wrong and knew that they had done wrong and they knew that their wrong was shameful and they tried to cover their own sin and failing to eradicate the shame, they hid from God or tried to and God came to them and asked, where are you? Forcing them for the first time to recognize where they were. Paul, even though he doesn't reference that, is certainly speaking out of the very same concept. When he writes, as for you, this is where you were, dead in your trespasses and sins. And there's no way to sugarcoat it. We have a lot of metaphors, a lot of word pictures, a lot of ideas that we circulate in our Christian culture to try to talk about what our condition was like before we came to faith in Christ and what Jesus did to bring us to faith in Him. I'm not here to argue any theological perspectives. One of the things that we say, well-intentioned but wrong, is that we were drowning. We were in danger of going under. And Jesus throws us a life preserver and says, grab it and I'll pull you to safety. No, we weren't drowning. We had drowned. We weren't in danger of going under. We were on the bottom. We were down there at the bottom of the pool, at the bottom of the lake, in the bottom of the sea, dead. And Jesus comes to us in our deadness. Like Lazarus. We were in the tomb. Our sins had brought us death. We were, for all intents and purposes, walking corpses. We were the walking dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. That's the way we lived our lives. Guys, it should never ever shock us or surprise us when lost people behave like lost people. It's what they are. It's who they are. That's their being. That's their nature. That was our being. That was our nature. We were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. Now, I think it's very likely that in a, in a congregation such as this, in a community like this, there probably were no more than 30, 40, maybe 50 of us who were active Satan worshipers at one point. Who was a Satan worshiper? None of us. None of us was an avowed Satanist. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, you were walking in the ways of the world, in the ways of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who's now still at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Um, 
Sin is like that fruit on that tree in Eden. We know we're not supposed to do it. We know we're not supposed to want it. We know we're sure not supposed to eat it. But we follow the course of this world. We follow the prince of the power of the air. That spirit of disobedience that's alive in the world. And we gaze upon the fruit. And we see that, wow, it sure looks attractive. And it's desirable to make us wise. And everybody else is doing it. And we take it and we eat it. And we become literally objects of wrath like the rest of mankind. And guys, it's a horrible thing to look at the world and to see the sin and to look in ourselves and see our sin. And if there's a failing that we have even as Christians, even as people who believe in Jesus and follow Him and worship Him, it's that we tend overall to undervalue the exceeding sinfulness of sin. We look at the world and we see unimaginable evil and horror out there, and since many of us, probably most of us, have not done those kinds of things or all of those things, we're daily assaulted by stories of horrible, horrible, unimaginable acts of cruelty and violence carried out on children and pregnant women. Helpless people, bombings, beheadings, random shootings, assaults of descriptions so vile, I won't speak of them from the pulpit, but you all know what they are. And we look at it, and since we haven't done them, we tend to undervalue the incredible sinfulness of our own sin. Paul sticks our faces in it. He says, as for you, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Whatever those sins were that you did, you were dead in them. As you were following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom you once lived in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature a child of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now the next two words in my humble opinion, are the two most important words in human history. They are my two favorite words in all the Bible, in all the world. 
in all the hundreds of books I've ever read, no two words have ever impacted me like the next two words, but God. Let those words sink in for just a moment. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. I was dead in the trespasses and sins in which I once walked. We were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom you once lived, among whom I once lived, among whom we once lived, in the passions of our flesh, of your flesh, of my flesh, carrying out the desires, carrying out my desires of my body and my mind, making me a child of wrath like the rest of mankind, carrying out the desires of your mind and your body, making you an object of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the greatness of the love with which he loved us, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. God saw Adam and Eve hiding behind the trees, covered in leaves. He knew where they were. He knew how they got there. He knew that they were going to wind up there. But God created them anyway. But God knew beforehand what was going to happen and what he was going to have to do. The son was going to have to come to earth and be rejected by his own people, mocked, ridiculed, reviled, abandoned, arrested, beaten, scourged, crucified, buried. But God did it anyway. He created the world knowing that you and I were going to wind up dead in our trespasses and sins. That we were going to follow the course of this world. That we were going to align ourselves with the prince of the power of the air. That we were going to give in to the cravings of our flesh. And we were going to wind up dead objects of wrath. But God gave you life Anyway, he created you nonetheless. But God, because of the exceeding richness of his mercy, because of the greatness of the love with which he loved us, God doesn't just have mercy. God isn't able just to draw upon mercy. His nature is mercy. It says, because God being rich in mercy. It is his being. How much of you is there? Do you ever think about that? 
You're you. You have your being. Everywhere you go, you are being. There's no limited supply of you. There's no point at which you're used up and people start getting something else or someone else. It is God's being to be rich in mercy. Because of the greatness of the love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, He made us alive together with Christ. God doesn't wait for us to improve before He accepts us. He doesn't wait for us to prove to Him we're worth it before He fixes us. He doesn't wait for us to wake up from the bad dream or resuscitate ourselves. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That word even could also be translated as indeed. Indeed at the very point where we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Right there at that point is where he makes us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This is what grace is, people. And God doesn't stop there in this gift of grace. No, He raises us up together with Christ and seats us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice, it doesn't say that at some point in the future He will raise us up and if we prove ourselves worthy, He might consider seating us in the heavenly places. No. At the moment that He comes to us in grace and makes us alive, at that very moment, we are now living in two places at the same time. Your body is still here, but your being is seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. But God being rich in mercy because of the greatness of the love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, He made us alive together with Christ and raised us up and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that... Oh, I love when Scripture gives us reasons. So many times I go to God and I say, God, why? Help, help me. And I love it when he gives me the reason, when scripture says because, or in this case, so that, in the coming ages, throughout eternity yet to be, he may continue to show forth the immeasurable richness of his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He's not done with you here, and He's not done with you there. Throughout all eternity, He is going to continue to show forth on you, on me, on us, the immeasurable richness 
of his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I can't imagine what heaven will be like. All of my imaginings, I know for a fact, fall infinitely short of what the reality will be. Just as we tend to undervalue the exceedingly sinfulness of sin, we tend to underimagine the gloriousness of glory. And of course we do. Scripture itself tells us, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it even entered into the mind of man to conceive what God has in store for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. It goes beyond the limits of our minds to conceive what God has in store for us. But Paul paints a picture that will allow us to begin to imagine And that picture is built around God because of the richness of His mercy and the greatness of His love with which He loved us. If He showed that much mercy and loved us that much when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, imagine as much as you can for just a moment what the immeasurable riches of His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus will be when we are united with Him. Which brings Paul back to grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. By believing. Abraham trusted in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. We believe in God and receive the grace of God. And people, this is not of works. There's nothing we bring to it. There's nothing we add to it. So that we have no reason for boasting. We can't say, well, I was only this close to death and at the last moment I realized what was going on and I changed my life. This isn't a car accident narrowly avoided. This isn't a train crossing that we jumped out of the way of the onrushing train at the last minute. This isn't a swimming pool where in fear and desperation we reached out and grabbed the life preserver and were pulled to safety. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. Now here, that last verse, for we are His workmanship. Workmanship, that's a an interesting word that my version uses to translate the Greek word. I I don't often get into Greek in my messages. You know, the, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. The word that's used there is poema. We get our English word poem, poetry. Comes from that root word. You are God's poetry. You are his finely crafted work of art. You are his thing of 
beauty and balance and meaning and richness. Think of some of your favorite poems. They may be actual poems that people wrote. They may be words of poetry set to song. Words that have given you meaning and comfort, have touched your soul. Words that you come to mind at odd times and and give meaning to what's going on in your life. You are God's poetry. You are His work of art. You've been created in Christ Jesus. Scripture says, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has gone away. Behold, the new has come. You are his new creation. You are his poetry. You are his work of art. Created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should be walking in them, that we're supposed to be doing. We're not saved by good works. We are created for good works. And it all hinges. That change from you were dead doing the works of the prince of power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, gratifying the desires of the flesh to You are God's poetry, His workmanship. Lifted up into the heavenly places, seated with Christ, the recipient of the immeasurable riches of His kindness for eternity, doing the good things that God has ordained in advance for you to do. And that whole shift from what you was to what you is hinges on two words, but God. Now guys, I think those two words provide an interpretive key to the entire Bible. I have so many people who I've worked with through the years, who I've pastored, who I've mentored, who I've I've taught in seminary in different places, and so many times people ask, how do I understand the Bible? I read the Bible and I get through whole sections, I just don't get it. Use these two words, and they will help you understand every passage in the Bible. But God. In the garden, Adam and Eve sinned. They were separated from God. They were dead in their trespasses and sins. But God did not leave them there. He did not abandon them. He came to them. He provided a way for them to be restored. He had to kill one of His own creation, a being that he had made had to shed its blood and tear off its skin to cover Adam and Eve with it and make a symbolic gesture of how they were now enrobed in blood, ultimately his blood. But God didn't leave them there. They had to leave the garden. There had to be a consequence for their sin. But their eternal state was secured. In the Old Testament, all of humanity had turned away from God. All of humanity had become so evil that God 
made a decision to basically wipe it all out and start over. But God did not destroy everyone. He created an ark and he saved a remnant of humanity. Israel sinned again and again and again and again for hundreds of years. They rejected God. They trampled on his law. And eventually... God removed them from the land of blessing and placed them in exile. But God did not leave them there. And he brought them back and he restored them. Hundreds of years later, Peter would reject Jesus. Deny him three times. Know himself to be covered in shame and worried that he was forever separated from the Lord he loved. But God did not leave him there. Came to Peter. Ate with him. Gently but firmly reminded Peter of Peter's love for him and his love for Peter. I don't know where you are right now. I don't know you folks. Maybe you're realizing today for the very first time that you are still dead in your trespasses and sins. You're hiding behind the trees. You're trying desperately to cover yourself, to cover your tracks. Let me give you a word of comfort. God, who is rich in mercy because of the greatness of the love with which He loves you, right now, has the ability to make you alive together with Christ and save you by His grace. There's no work you can do that can make it happen. If there was, you'd have done it, I know. Believe that He's done it. And it's done. Many of you, I'm quite sure, are so far removed in years from that place where you were dead in your trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, an object of wrath. You have been on the other side of the cross for so many decades that the memory of what you were has grown dim. And the memory of what God did has grown stale. Remember, as Paul will write in the next verses, that you at one time were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in this present time, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near 
by the blood of Christ. Maybe we've been doing good works for so long that we've begun to believe that our good works have earned us some kind of merit or favor with God. No, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. And you've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. The good works that you've been doing for decades, that's the outflow of you being what you is, not what you was. Rejoice in it. Glory in God that we are willing to do it and able to do it. But don't ever believe that somehow the good works have brought you anything of God's favor. Just doing what you're supposed to be doing, what you're created to be doing. Maybe many of you, I suspect many of us, are looking at the world right now and we're just sickened and dismayed, feeling confused, full of fear and doubt. We look at the state of the world politically, we look at the state of the world economically, we look at the state of the world and... And we've lost our joy. Remember these two words, if you remember nothing else from today. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the greatness of the love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, He made us alive together with Christ. And at this very moment, we who are in Christ Jesus are in the heavenly places where God will show for all eternity the immeasurable richness of His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And these momentary light afflictions, as Scripture says, will work to refine us So that the gold within us may shine forth. I know that some of you are hearing that right now and you're thinking, Ken, what I'm going through right now does not seem either momentary or light. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the greatness of the love with which He loves you, has more in store for you than this right now. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank You that You've brought these words into my life, into my heart, that You have never abandoned me to my death, to the just fruit of my sin but that by your grace and mercy and the greatness of your love gave everything in the person of your Son so that my everything could be changed.
Lord, if there are people here today who heard your word and needed it, thank you. And may you continue to work on our hearts until you return again. In Jesus' name, amen.